Hello and welcome to the Track Record Podcast. This was the very first episode that we recorded with ex-England rugby star Ollie Barkley. Ollie and I went to school together, so it was nice to record the first episode with a familiar voice. And I remember from the school days that Ollie was a bit of a tastemaker for music, introducing the rest of us to all these cool American bands that at the time none of us had ever heard of before. So I'm curious to dig into that, how on earth a young lad from Cornwall became such a tastemaker for music in those days. And like many other ex-professional sports people, in their quest to remain cool, Ollie fancies himself as a bit of a DJ. So we'll dig into that a little bit too. This is the track record with Ollie Barkley. Enjoy the episode. Ollie Barkley, welcome to the podcast. Doing pretty, thanks for having me. No problem at all. How are you feeling? Uh, recovered from my beefer yet? Uh, do you ever recover from my beefer? Well, I'm just glad your voice is still working. Uh, it's yeah. kind of important for this. It was hoarse for a while, and I just nursed, nursed back a cough for the last week, so. I've, uh, I've just caught me at the end of a, of a very unhealthy period. <laughs> Good. Well, you're looking all right anyway, so that's Thanks, the main mate. thing. Um, so you retired from rugby how many years ago now? Where are we at now? 2019. Um, almost three years ago to the day. Three years, okay. And why did you retire? Um, a combination of things really. Like it was, I was knew at some point I was going to get slower and I wasn't able to do the things I used to better do. And when you can't do the things you used to better do, then rugby just doesn't become... It's not really that yeah. fun anymore. Playing in the forwards, it's a little bit easier. You can slow down and still yeah. be niggly and nasty and get away with a career. But in the backs, you don't really have yeah, that, yeah. That, that privilege, as you know. So it um, wasn't like a, a big injury or anything? Um, there was no sort of finite um, date where I, I received an injury. And it stopped. I did break my leg quite badly in 2011, 2012, which was a compound fracture, which then meant that I couldn't do the things I could do. Basically, the left leg just didn't work as as well as it used to, and kicking being quite a big part of my game, me being left-footed, that that put the brakes on me a little bit. Um, but it just, and that generally got worse over time. I think and as as my interest for the game diminished, so did my appetite for rehab. Yeah, so as a result, the injury got worse and winters became more troublesome and I still have quite a lot of metal work in there and stuff. So when the winter comes around, it just doesn't really like my leg. So right. I tend to slow down quite well, slow down more than I even more. Even more. Yeah. <laughs> so it's become very square. You play for let me say again, right. Bath Gloucester, Racing Metro, London Welsh, Stint of the Scarlets. Yeah. And there was another French club, wasn't there? Uh yeah, more clubs than Nick Faldo, someone said to me the other day. <laughs> um Grenoble. Oh, for a year, right. yeah. Okay. So there was a, there's a, there's a, the main patch was sort of the 12, 12 years at at Bath, and then I went left Bath, and then went for more of a, like a multi club experience the yeah. last three or four years, um, and then tagged a bit of coaching on the end in London Welsh. And obviously, the highlight being wearing following my footsteps for the London Welsh number ten shirt. Yeah, I mean, it was a prestigious shirt. <laughs> I felt felt quite special pulling it on. Actually, um, it was actually it was actually a bit a bit baggy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, run the arms, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was, no, happy times there, and um, I, I was born in London, so to be back in London and around my family and mates and and experience life away from Bath was really cool for me. Aside from what, what I what I got from the rugby, yeah, that's a good club. Um, so, what are you up to these days? Like, what's been keeping you busy for the last three years? Um, I said predominantly, I started a uh, property business about six years ago, uh, which was pr- initially just transferring. 
the student portfolio that I'd accumulated over playing into a company to everyone knows why people will do that now for, for tax reasons, but <laughs> you know, talk about that. Um, and then I went into developing more, like building my own homes and houses and, and, and schemes and stuff about four years ago. So the last three years, I mean, I retired and then bought a nursing home and then that was probably the biggest thing I did to sort of break the back of my development inexperience, if, if you like. Um, from there, I've just done developments and now that company's growing fairly quickly. I'm still at a stage where I can manage it sort of with my, by myself and with a structured team around me, but um, we'll see how that goes in the next 12 months. Uh, and then aside from that, a year ago, I started a company with a good friend of mine, Ed Jackson, who's actually a London Welsh old boy yeah. as well. Um, Ed, for those that don't know, recently, as in two years ago, broke his neck and was told he'd never walk again. Long story, very, very short, went to, to Nepal, was kind of inspired by it after tell, after doctors telling him he would never walk again. Now he's climbing mountains, doing all sorts of bits and pieces for charity, and we set up a company about a year, no, geez, less than that, eight months ago now, um, with a view to raising money to build a spinal unit in Nepal. Wow. Um, so our game is to, basically, we've created a series of events which we tried to pitch as being quite unique and a bit different. Um, we take people up mountains, we host tech parties um, with guest chefs and, and put them in unique venues like castles and um, industrial factories and stuff uh, to try and raise money for charity. And that takes up a lot of our time at the moment, mm. um, which we which is actually growing a bit quicker than we wanted it to at the mm. moment. So at the moment, <laughs> we, we don't have much time in our day for socialising, um, aside from Ibiza. So yeah, a very, very full days and full weekends at the moment, which I'm, I'm enjoying. It's, it. I mean, it's great to hear what you're doing with Ed. His story is incredible, isn't it? So it's yeah. Where it is today. It's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. Like he, um, he, I think it, it's actually a blessing in disguise for him. And he'll talk about it as, okay. as a blessing. Like he, I don't think he, he was always quite driven and stuff to have played professional sport. You have to be have a level of commitment and perseverance, but yeah, the guy's a freak. Like yeah. see him climb a mountain with a leg that doesn't really function that well. And right. to be told that he'd never walk again and have limited use of his hands to, to where he is now and what he puts into his day and his week and his year is is nothing short of inspirational. Yeah, it's it's, pr it's pretty awesome being around. Wow. Him, actually. Well, uh, good on you for helping out as well. Not at all. It's been, it's been fun. Good. Well, uh, let's talk about the music side. I want to go back to when we were in school together. So we were 16, 17. I was from Wales. You're from Cornwall. Both fairly similar backgrounds-ish or so I thought. But then you kept introducing us to all these cool American bands like Counting Crows, Matchbox 20, Bare Naked Ladies, Hooting the Blowfish. Like, where the hell did that come from? Um, it's a very good question. I think when I grew up, like, music was always a very big part of our upbringing and our, and our home. Like, mum and dad were massively into their music. And um, even though we had um, a friendship circle that was far wealthier than us, like, we were always the first people to have the best audio equipment. <laughs> so... Dad and mum made good use of that, and we grew up around this music was just an ever present really in the house for everything from Led Zeppelin to people like Hot House Flowers, Van Morrison, um, John Martin. So, like musicians, musicians in a way, lots of Pink Floyd, um, lots of Bob Dylan, like probably nothing, probably not too different from a lot of people that bring it whose parents yeah. actually knew about music, and that probably segued into into my taste in music in terms of the kind of music I then branched into. Like I think the first album I ever bought was, I remember hearing a couple of tracks from it and asking my mate to 
put my first ever album. He actually had the Nirvana Nevermind album on cassette and left it in the back of Rob Morris minor pickup truck <laughs> for me to collect. And that was the first ever album oh, cool. I ever, ever heard. Um, but that was off the back of listening to Nirvana Unplugged, which is a big MTV series. Mm. They did a big Unplugged series. And that's how I picked up people like Pearl Jam, um, Nirvana, basically off their acoustic sessions, which would then had led on from the acoustic music that I'd heard with mum and dad on Sunday lunchtimes or at dinner parties when mm. I was banished my room upstairs and I could hear them playing it downstairs. So I, I guess that was probably a progression from what mum and dad used to play and like many, many youngsters. And then from there, it just branched out and took it to Colston's. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And I suppose we don't have the privilege now that we have with things like search algorithms that Spotify do very effectively, whereby you can finish a playlist and then recommended songs branches you off into a whole new world of music and artists and producers and labels and stuff. So, So in the past, it was just a matter of, I'd come into your room and you'd come into mine and you go, I've heard this and I've heard that and this guy's pretty similar to them. So why don't you listen to these yeah. guys? Mine was Stereophonics. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, actually, of I, I, never, I never listened to Stereophonics before you brought it into my room. And then I was like, nah, they're Welsh. They can't, how, how, great can they, how great can they be, you know? You go like Tom Jones and, that, and then at the time, Catatonia, I hated. Yeah. So I was like, how great can these got these lot be? And as it turned out, they were a huge part of our school life yeah it was wasn't it yeah we went to festivals and watched them and saw them live and um it was actually their the 20th anniversary of that um gig in swansea last weekend was it yeah and then they had a one to commemorate it did they yeah they did yeah and say well not in the same place but in swansea did they play the same album yeah they did yeah yeah so i mean all all of my friends my sort of social media was was all about that last weekend yeah yeah but he still still sounds decent kelly jones Ah, but the sounds of things, yeah. I mean, they still record, they still got new albums and stuff. Right, okay. I I'm, guess, not, I'm not following them actually. Yeah, they still got new music, but um, yeah, you can't beat the original one, can you? Mm. No, classics. Yeah, it's it's mad when you think of back in those days. Like, how the hell did you discover new music? You know, there, there wasn't even YouTube, Google, that that kind of stuff. It's yeah. mad, isn't it? Let alone things like Spotify. Yeah, I think it's just a case of like it happened very organically. Like you come yeah, in and yeah. you have to physically pass an album to your yeah. mate and him take it. Um, I know obviously you think people like musicians and DJs would have been passing music around through email quite effectively yeah, in the yeah. early days, but that was never, we were all, we were kids at school. So we yeah. literally passed across CDs to our mate and yeah. we borrowed them and tried not to lose them. And then um, your CD collection grew and you hope the person left school without remembering to ask yeah. their CD. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then it grew from there. Yeah. Uh, so I see from Instagram, you uh, share a lot of music. So clearly music is a big passion of yours still still into that kind of scene or is it as your taste moved on a little bit um yeah it's progressed uh obviously progressed it's probably changed quite a bit i think um i still have a massive draw to more emotive bands um like things like sort of this nice stuff that pearl jam does kind of like a lot of bands around at the moment um but most of my music taste now is probably directed more towards electronic yeah um not just dance music, but anything from ambient house to Balearic to I listen to minimal, listen to tech, progressive. Like it's okay. it's pretty wide. I spend you know, a large part of my of my day, my time, my my week, my life is spent listening and searching for new music. So yeah, it's oh, it's cool. a very, it's still a huge yeah. part of my life. Yeah, and you've dabbled in the DJing space a bit. Yeah, I started mixing about uh, probably eight years ago. 
Um, and then I had, I've had, I've had about a two year break recently where oh, work's yeah. been really busy and my decks are in the bottom of a, of a cardboard box for a while, but I pulled them out about eight months ago and played live for the first time three months ago, okay. which was really cool. And then what, what, what do you say play live? As in, like, I played out yourself. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so, so no, I don't, not on the guitar, but played live. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't in my, de- in my bedroom yeah, yeah, it, yeah. where if I am experimenting with a mix, I can then go back and change yeah, it and yeah. work it out, you know, play live it's very different um unless you don't care about the audience giving a shit if you, if you mess up but um yeah so i did that i did i played at our first lit event which is one of the events we me and ed run okay, right. uh which was um a playlist which basically moves from being very ambient and melodic house and tech at the start while you arrive at dinner to something that goes to more tribal and progressive and and sort of assist the party the progression of the party through the course of the night uh, into basically future disco and new disco, and then for the really guys that stayed really late between two and four, then we went really techy at the end, which, right. which is kind of and, where I wanted. And what time did the love songs come on? Uh, like half five. I'm <laughs> <laughs> the candlelight for, for the smooch. Yeah, a bit, a bit of Barry White. Um, so have you? So when, back to your DJing. So what's the biggest kind of gig you played, or the most exotic location? Have you have you done anything like um, that? I've done uh, nothing too too major. Like I've done. Um, I've done a couple of festivals. Um, I've done. Um, I play a lot of sort of like some mates sort of um, parties and stuff in Ibiza when they have sort of private parties at villas and things like that, uh, which is probably actually where it's probably the most critical crowd. Is it right? Yeah, because it's like they know their music. Um, they're very up to date usually, and they're not afraid at that point in the night to come up and tell you what you should be playing. So yeah, I think to have a pretty pretty strong gut for for musical taste but uh, that's one thing that i'm happy to back you know like i spent a lot of time searching for new music so i'm confident that i can usually like deliver on a set yeah list and uh so do you go to many gigs yourself or whether it's sort of a dj set or actual old school concerts yeah i do yeah i go to a lot actually like it it's um i'm more i'm mainly governed by the venue and the dj like uh, I will go to any venue and see a good DJ, but I will also go to an amazing venue and see a DJ that I don't particularly like in hope that maybe they reconstruct their classical set list for that venue. Like, for example, if you go to somewhere like Printworks, um, which has just opened up now in Canada Waterwell a year or two ago, DJs will play a very different set there because it's a very industrial setting than they might play normally. So I've actually been to sets and heard people like... Um, some of the engineer deep label play who I didn't particularly like and then they play a set in an industrial environment and they completely change their set so mm-hmm. that can influence who I go and watch um, but yeah I, I go to I like really intimate gigs like who doesn't um, I'm a member of things like song kick and things places like yeah. that which, which are quite proactive in telling you where when and where people are playing yeah I mean there's, there's, as you know like like accessing information as to where and when DJs, artists are playing now and how you can get our tickets is so accessible. It makes, yeah, yeah. just like music is, it makes live experiential, um, the live experiential part of music very, very easy to come by now. Yeah, of course. Cool. Um, okay, l- let's pivot to the sports, the rugby side of things. So obviously you played for England 20 odd times, 13? Yeah. Uh, I think you capped 23, 24 times. 23, right, okay. Um, is it, am I right in saying that you made your debut for England before you'd played a first-team game of senior rugby? 
Yeah, it always always astonishes people that. Yeah, no, I, I remember I was kind of you know I'd forgotten about it really, but how the hell did that happen? Good very good question. Um, I I was uh, I signed for Bath for three years when I was eighteen, and one of the one of the quite um, ballsy conditions that I now look back and think I placed on them was that I could go travelling for a year. Yeah, because I knew if things had gone well in rugby, which I had every intention of trying to make sure they did, that I would that privilege of being able to go off for four, five, six, seven, eight months and travel and see the world would not be afforded to me in, in that in that main mm. chunk of time. Obviously you go and play games and stuff, but you don't your time is not isn't your own. So I went away to New Zealand in October and then I I before then I played sufficiently well with and trained sufficiently well to for England coach um, Andrew Robinson to take notice of me and I was drafted into the development squad. They kept track of me while I was in New Zealand and then they said to me about four months later when I was in New Zealand training and playing that they wanted me to go on development tour to, to England, to Canada and America, which was a ridiculous experience um, because I knew everyone and nobody knew who the hell I was. Yeah, so I was yeah. actually walking around just like everyone obviously everyone plays against everyone so everyone yeah, knew who yeah. everyone is and I was the one guy asking everyone's names and I remember being so super embarrassed about it but I ended up getting a cap um yeah so I was 19 at that point I hadn't played a game for Bath so that's how that yeah. transpired cool must have been terrifying and am, am I right in saying that uh, when you play for England you have to sing a song as your initiation yeah so what did you do I um I didn't have anything in my locker at the time, so I, Leon Lloyd actually taught me King of the Swingers at the back of the bus okay. about two minutes before I sung it. Yeah, yeah, uh, not 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 a one to remember. And since, since I've obviously been on a lot of England buses now, where, whereby lots of guys have come up and um, and sung songs, and and um, o- over the years, the age at which boys get capped gets far is getting far younger. Yeah, players are becoming far more able from an early age. So the players that get up there and start singing are I have are now reading out whole raps, whole like songs, remixes of songs. Right. And they always come and ask me, like, what did you sing? And I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like bloody like King and Swingers. Yeah. And it goes down like a shit sandwich. Um but any good ones you can remember? Any stand out? Um yeah, it's been like my Angels is the best one because it gets torn to pieces by the boys. The boys uh, start yeah, singing it, they yeah. get absolutely ripped apart. A um, lot of very good Eminem raps. Yeah. Um, One of our players who's who's like absolutely smasher of the park. Actually, um, Tom. I forgot his name now. Second row from from Leeds that played. He got capped with me. Actually, he played. He uh, he sung a. Um, I've forgotten the name of the song now. He sung Johnny Be Good. Okay. And he yeah. does, he, he's actually quite quiet. He doesn't really talk that much. And he got up on, yeah. on the mic and explained it into Johnny Be Good. <laughs> and everyone had never really said, heard him say more than 10 words. Then he basically blat out the whole oh, song word for word perfectly. Um, yeah, that's, that's generally... And, any shocking one. ones that you can remember? Anytime anyone tries to sing Angel with Robert Williams, yeah, yeah it goes down awfully. It, is the crowd generally supportive or do they just get heckled? There's a, very, there's a very common pattern that emerges. Usually people get heckled at the start. Uh, and if they plough on and, and they can see that they're getting on with the song, then usually by the, the, the second half, everyone joins in. Yeah. And it becomes quite social. But everyone without a fail that gets up gets torn down straight away. Right. Yeah, fair, fair play. Same with the Welsh squad. 
Well, I mean, Wales rugby, I, I don't know. From a London Welsh point of view, singing was a big part of what we did. Yeah. Like rugby tours, buses, having a classic good old sing song was a massive part. And to be honest with you, it was very much a respectful thing. It wasn't really the tearing people apart and humiliating them. We were taught from our coach that if someone gets up and sings, even though if he's absolutely rubbish, we sort of helping through and support it. So I'd never been in that environment before because in rugby, generally you take the piss of each other a lot. Yeah. So it was quite alien to, to see that. But it was quite nice as well, actually. It's really, it's really nice. I wish, that was, I wish it was like that when I was playing. We, <laughs> yeah. just, we just got our, got our heads yeah. ripped off. So when, when you were playing for England, this was just <coughs> post Clive Woodward, wasn't it? I think. Uh, it was... It was no, it was it was Clive's. It was the end of Clive's tenure. Yeah, so I imagine that he would have been pretty scientific and meticulous about the music side of the preparation, like you know what music was being played in the bus and in the change rooms and stuff. I don't know whether that was the case or not, but it strikes me as that he would take a really scientific and meticulous approach to that. Like, was that the same as when you played in terms of the music being played in the bus and in the change rooms and stuff? Uh, I think back then it. Clive was incredibly meticulous and he, he left no stone unturned. That was part of the reason he was so successful, a large part of the reason he was so successful. But the music was generally left to to the S&C side. Ah, uh, right. Because okay, they'd, yeah. they'd obviously have a very, very strong say in what, gets, what got played in the gym. Uh, it was when England went from another level, went from being very, very um running the mill with their fitness to try and take it to, to the next level and trying to be world leaders in it so therefore places at the gym training became a very big part of of going away with the England squad and developing and then their and music was a very big part of that so um generally the people that led the music when I started playing ring was Mike Tyndall okay. who you know from your bath days yeah. and Tyndall's always still very into his music and Is he? he was um he was very influential in the music that got chosen um and as a result of that, it was basically R&B driven. Right. Loads of Ja Rule, loads of Jay-Z, <laughs> loads of like music, sort of music that he'd play with his seat pushed back in his A3 driving too fast through the one-way streets and bars. <laughs> Imagining he's in the hood. Yeah, well, you've seen him, do <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Drive like 80 and a 30, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. with Ja Rule blaring out the windows down <laughs> with it raining. But uh, yeah, he was generally, him and Dave Redden, who was the SNC, head of SNC, had a very big say in what we listened to. So when, uh, moving on to the bath days then, if Tins was the one dominating with that kind of music, and back in those days there was a big split between the the new school and the young lads like him, Bolsh and Peza and those guys, and then you had like the Glanville, Gus Scott, Ubogu, you know, Calads. Like, what, what what was their thoughts on Tins rocking up with all these R&B hip hop tracks? Generally, like I think most of them were they sort of found it quite funny their understanding of it, but they would always slay like our younger music choice. But then when we would put it back on them and say, what do you like listening to? They wouldn't really say a whole lot. Yeah. Um, whether or not they thought what they listened to was cool or not, I don't know what cool is the right word. But um, And generally back then, there was only a few, like portable speakers weren't a common thing. Yeah. So nowadays you go to the rugby change room and probably half a team have got one in their bag with some kick-ass headphones. Yeah. Back then... There'd be two guys with speakers, one of which was was half decent. So yeah. it wasn't a case of what, and Bluetooth wasn't as common and it even existed then. Yeah. So it wasn't a case of, well, you link it up, now you link it up, and we'll link it up. So it was usually an auxiliary cable into whoever's phone would be willing <laughs> to put himself on the block to play yeah, their own yeah. music. So it just it, it isn't as social as it is now. I mean, it's a high pressure 
sort of role to have, isn't it? Yeah. You, well, you put yourself on the block to get to get chopped down yeah. every time you yeah. put a song on. But, I mean, surely these days, like, teams are having collaborative playlists and stuff where it's not really one person. It's like everybody can stick the songs in there. Is, is that not being done? Well, I've, not when I was... No, I, I finished playing three years ago. Yeah. I, I think some clubs are very will be very very geared towards music, and that will largely be influenced by some senior influential social individuals who are very into their music, and will start to be very particular about what gets played in the gym, what gets played in the bus, what gets played pre-match in the change rooms, what gets played. Some play it at half time. I know. Yeah, right. Some, and then how you celebrate, what you celebrate too, and do teams have certain playlists for? when they lose yeah I don't know you know um, but I know that music's becoming a far more ever ever present part of not just game day but the training week as well and and that comes back to the, the accessibility of it and how social music how easily it is to be social with music now yeah. sharing listening taking part linking in yeah no totally um, a lot of boys as well wear headphones don't they these days yeah so I guess I, I, I never really liked wearing headphones in the change rooms. No, I, I didn't either. I think that probably maybe came back from our positions yeah, because we exactly. probably always wanted to be communicating, yeah. making sure people knew their roles. Yeah. That was definitely why I didn't use headphones because yeah. I always had something to say with regards to, do you know this? Do you know your role in this? Are you happy with this? Yeah. So what, what about in some of the other clubs you played for? Like we talked about Bath, England. What about like going to France, for example? Was that a massively different scene sort of, Changing rooms, bus, gym, when it comes to music? Yeah, man. Poles apart. Literally poles apart. So it would either be, well, French songs for a start. So in the first four months, I didn't know any French. So it was completely alien <laughs> to me. And, like mel melody and bass line weren't great. So I couldn't really resonate with much of the stuff that was getting played in the changing rooms. Um, Racing Metro was, was, was far more multicultural because the squad was made up of far more multicultural yeah, yeah, players. Yeah. Kiwis, Aussies, South Africans, Islanders. Islanders generally have a very, very good handle on their music. Uh, do they? Yeah, I think it's a huge part of life in the islands. Do you mean local music or not? All music, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, um, uh, Maoris, they, they, they are massively into it. Well, music's such a big part of their yeah, culture yeah. that well, they, they bring that to the changing room. And, you know, you, you, you're, you're, when the All Blacks get off the bus or the training, like half of them to two thirds of you are having headphones. Yeah. You know? It's a huge part of that culture. So that that brought quite a lot of new music to um, uh, actually, I first had Fat Freddy's Drop from some Kiwi friends of mine. Yeah, right. So it's. Um, they expose you to new music. But then when I got down to Grenoble, it was far more far more French makeup of the squad. So music was very, very French, uh, which generally isn't great. One thing that the French are very open to if you play the right stuff is decent electronic music. They okay. love their dance music. Um, if it's if it's half decent, they're big, they're into their big drops. And yeah. nowadays, like sort of electronic music, the sort of I'm to do the progressive stuff, the more ambient stuff, drops now aren't as heavy as they used to be when EDM was huge, when it became big in 2011. So so you must have been running the show then in Grenoble. Not at all. No, I was an Englishman, so I was I was right at the bottom of the pile. <laughs> I used to stick my headphones on and yeah. just and try to drown out what was going on outside. Take the red sheer in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what about things like sing songs? Um, has that been a big part of the clubs you've played in? Um wasn't think, wasn't Matt Stevens a bit of a he fancied himself as a singer, didn't he? 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think Matt was as keen for a sing song as he was for people to hear him sing. Uh, right, I think yeah, it was right. more a case of that. Yeah. Um, get my guitar and it's a bit of a David Brett moment every time. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, he he was actually I take the piss, but he's actually a very good singer and actually a very confident performer and had a really good knowledge of music. Like he's big massively into his Counting Crows. Um, Led Zeppelin, a lot of old stuff. Um, the Beatles. He actually played. He actually was he's actually very talented. I hope to say this on the podcast. I hope he doesn't hear it, but um, he's a very talented performer. Um, less so sing songy. I think the stuff that would come out would probably be largely drinking songs, yeah. which probably you know aren't all probably repeatable on a, on a podcast. But they um, occasionally there'd be a, a guy would stand up and start singing an old classic and. Maybe half the group would know it and half the group would mime quietly. Yeah, yeah. But not not as big a part, I don't okay. think, as, as other, other clubs or other nations, perhaps. Well, it was certainly a big part at London Welsh. Was it? Well, you know, it's kind of a bit more of a traditional Welsh rugby thing, isn't it, to have a good old classic sing-song. Yeah. And there wasn't that many Welsh lads there, so we tried to bring in a bit of Welshness to the club, and that's the way we did it. And everybody bought in, to be fair. Yeah. Well, actually, funny you say that. When we were, we, we would go to the aftermatch functions and there would be the oh, the board members, the committee members. If we ever stayed long enough and they were pissed enough that the songs would come thick and fast yeah. from those boys, yeah. I'd be right in the middle of that. Yeah, <laughs> good, good, good to hear. <laughs> Are there any moments in your career that hearing a song now immediately takes you back to that moment, whether it's a match, winning something, losing something, or before a game, any kind of moments that stand out? Uh, it's a couple, like probably obviously <laughs> the King of Swingers, if I ever hear yeah, that, yeah, book, imagine, yeah. that, that, that comes back quite quickly. And the first, before we played against uh, teams, international teams, international matches, sorry, we would always, there would always be a montage, um, the, the video team would create as like a motivational thing after our Friday night team meeting which is sort of the last meeting we'd have as a team before we ate and there'd always be a montage video of clips of players times we'd last played that team and won however and the first one before my first full cap against Wales actually we won I took it we won we won (laughs) Um, was galvanised by the Chemical Brothers okay yeah um, was Chemical Brothers? Yeah, good song. Yeah, and that's the first song that ever got played to my first ever montage. So that I don't ever hear that. That always takes me back. And I remember being so nervous. Matt Dawson next to me, being so relaxed. It was like his seventieth cap, and he was playing nine. I was playing ten, and he was so relaxed, singing along and bopping away behind his table. And I was just sat there like frozen. Yeah, like, just uh, just nervous, obviously. And uh, but yeah, that always takes me back yeah. quite, quite quickly. I've, I've got, one, there's one song for me, which is a bad memory, where we were playing as Plymouth and Barnsley was playing fly half, right? So he he, get, he gets the ball, he handed me off, I tripped over one of our players and twisted my ankle, right? <laughs> he then he, he ran on and scored. And as I was being carried off the pitch, they were playing status quo, rocking all over the world was the song. <laughs> and every time I hear that song... It reminds me of me being carried off the pitch with a twisted ankle and having Barnsley pushed me over and scored a try. Oh, and I'm furious about it. <laughs> yes, that's a negative experience. Yeah, I think they're the negative ones. I don't really. None of them. No, no, we we used to run out to um, to Fat Boy Slim 
um, for Bath, which is actually, I've forgotten my song, it was a terrible choice. It wasn't particularly uplifting. Right here, right now? Right here, right yeah, now. Yeah, I remember so it, yeah. It was, yeah. Which at the time, that, that, that comes from an absolutely epic album. But um, it just, yeah, that got played for like literally eight years. Eight oh, seasons, we run out to, but like, completely changed the bloody Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about when you were kicking? Because they, they have, obviously, these days, songs when you kick a, well, successfully kick a goal. I didn't hear much, but when yeah. I was playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, we we never had that actually. How did you know? No, well, I, I was asked what song I wanted to play, and what actually one problem I had not really a musical point, but I I had a problem refocusing after kicking uh, in between right. the next job. If I whether I, if I'd got it, I don't know. I just that was too busy problem. celebrating. Probably too busy pat myself in the back, <laughs> gloating with a yeah, yeah, kissing babies and high fiving people. <laughs> But I I had a problem refocusing after winning kick after 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 winning after successful kick. So when I was asked if I wanted a song played, I said no, thank you. Yeah, right. I remember underneath we had a song two from Blur. Yeah, Ooh, Pop, that's quite a popular good one. one. That's the one Sari's playing now. Oh, is it? Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. It gets bandied out a lot. That doesn't it? Yeah. Um, okay. Shall we go on to the quick fire round? You may have covered off many of these already, actually. Um. Yeah, let's do that. So I'll do a quick fire round. Have you seen the? Did I send you these in advance? Yeah. All right. All right. I, I, I will prefer not to have a quick fire. I just hit with them and I'll, I will do. Yeah, I'll come yeah. back. Right. So, Ollie Barkley, quick fire round. First single ever bought? Um, Bart Simpson, do the Batman. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, first gig? First gig. Do you know what? It might have been that stereophonics gig with you. Yeah, same for me, same for me. Last gig? Just include going to see people in clubs or actual gigs? Yeah, yeah I think that you can say that. Uh, last DJ I saw was Solomon at Pasha. Unbelievable. Um, and the last gig I went to would have been um, Ants at Printworks. Okay. It's a tech, tech event. Favourite artist or band? One. Can I do one from my yesteryear and one from now? Yeah. Um, Van Morrison, artist, old school, from old. Um, band, Pearl Jam. Okay. Um, that, that 10 album is one of my, still one of my favourite yeah. albums. And they were one of their Unplugged is ridiculous. Um, band now, I'm massive, massive fan of Marabu State. Okay. They take a lot of boxes for me. I'm going to see them live actually end of August. Uh, and then D- DJ wise, live, I've, I've not kept this concise at all, have I? <laughs> Solomon, favourite DJ to see live. And in terms of artist, um, I'm big into all the Anjuna Deep boys. So like Yotto, um, Cuba Colour, those sorts of people. Right, right up my street then. Yeah, yeah, you know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could see one act live in concert, who would it be? They could be dead or alive. Oh. I probably took a few out there, like Fleetwood Mac for sure. If they ever got to get back okay. together, um, I'd probably say Marby State at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Go to motivation. Motivational song. So before a game, like just before the game, like if you really need yeah, to that, get up for this, go to uh, song. Yotto Crosswalk. Okay. That's a uh, that's from his he did an EP of songs to uh, commemorate um, 
a couple of TV shows, and that's off, that's off that EP. Okay. Um, teammates. Sorry, with a... sorry, it's not crosswalk. Okay. It's firewalk. He did a crosswalk. He did a firewalk. It's firewalk. Firewalk. Right, I'll Your check turn. it out. Teammate with the worst taste in music. Come on, throw someone under the bus. Um, it's usually a usually a front five yeah, four. Got to be a front rower. Yeah. yeah, David Barnes has put a couple of bits and pieces on in the okay. past where it's. Doesn't even, I don't even want to waste time on the podcast I, talking about it. I can't imagine him having the best taste in music. He's pretty terrible. Yeah, agreed. Best singer that you've seen in sports? I can probably guess what this is going to be. Do you know what? I know you probably think it's Matt Stevens, yeah. but there's a couple other guys actually out there. Kelly Brown uh, from yeah, Saracens. Okay. He's ridiculously good. I've heard him, not live, but a couple of where Actually, I have heard him once live at Mark... Um, Mark McCallum's wedding, yeah, he's he's incredible. Crowley Brown's great. Okay. Um, there's a couple of lads in there as well who, who sing, but I, I, Kelly Brown is really really good actually. And Matt Stevens is everyone knows about. Yeah, him. yeah. Okay, last one. If you could form a rock band with people from your sports, who would be in it? Be going on musical ability or just all out parties? Well, you know, someone that would fit the stereotypical mould of a good drummer, for example. Sebastian Chabal, yeah, okay. all, that, all that hair. Got, got to get him in yeah, there. Yeah. Probably be a few, few Frenchies and Italians in there because yeah, okay. the rockers. Uh, probably, I probably put Ed Jackson in there. Just, what, what, what's his role? Just uh, roadie, okay. tour manager, yeah. pure parting ability. Right. Um, I also go in there. I think someone like Mike Tinder will be pretty good. In other matters, big into his music. What's he? What's he doing? What's his role? Uh, Probably guitarist, lead right. guitar. Okay. I'll probably put Shabal on the drums. Yeah. Hair going everywhere. Who's your singer? Impact. Are you taking it on? Um no, I, I might go on I might go on keys actually. Okay. I'll go on keys. I'll put Kelly Brown ah, yeah, actually good chance, yeah. at the front. Um hey, we need a bassist. And then that's the basics done. Bassist are kind of like quite cool in the background. Yeah. Reliable. Solid. Andy Higgins. Yeah, ex bath player. Yeah. yeah, he's a bit cool. Probably fits the bill for bass. Yeah, okay. Also, good. Good, also a good party. Yeah. Who's the token tambourine man? The Joker. Uh, <laughs> token tambourine man. Someone like Michael Clarkson is probably good for that. Would he? Yeah, just 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 tap away in the background. Yeah, and not care. Good. Yeah. Great. Well, I think we've covered everything off. Right. Nice one, um, Ollie Barkley. Thanks for joining us. No, mate, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.